Hey, readers and writers. This episode was recorded with Squadcast, a web-based software that records studio-quality episodes from anywhere in the world. Squadcast records at each user's end and then uploads it to the cloud. So even if the call quality wasn't great at the time, the end file is always perfect. So that's a good thing. And it's never lost, which is even better. <laughs> it's a paid service, so there is that. But for me, it's been worth it. If you're in the market for recording software, there's a link in the show notes to get a free trial. Now let's get on with the show. I think I get my ideas from uh, from passage, from things I've read, and, um, and and it's a strange process. I'm not I'm not sure I completely understand it myself, but um, uh, sometimes it'll be a, a passage I'm reading, and the language just sort of resonates with me, and I'll think about it, and um, and um, uh, quite frequently I'll just write it down in my journal, and I'll have I'll have a whole passage there of something that someone is thinking or processing or going through, and then later I'll sort of look at that and develop that into a uh, into a, a plot and a story. Hi, Thomas. Hi, Deb. How you Great doing? To be here. I'm I'm pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Thanks. Yeah, it's a sunny day, and yeah, and it's good to be nice. here. Nice. It's, it's a rainy here. day here, so I'm a little envious um, of all that sun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always wanting to send it to people, but yeah. I know. I would happily send you my rain. <laughs> yeah. All my rain. All of it. Actually, to be honest with you, yeah. I would love to have some of that rain. We need it. You've probably heard California is in mm-hmm. drought for the third straight year. and Right. Anyway, um, yeah, there's an old James Taylor song. I've seen fire and I've seen rain. Sunny days that I thought would never end. That's cheesy. I'm sorry, but that sunny days that never end. That actually uh-huh. can feel depressing. Sunny days that never end. Really? Can, it can actually feel like we could use some rain here. So mm-hmm. send any you can find. So anyway. Yeah, I somewhat. It's a million a billion dollar idea. It would probably cost a billion dollars too. But someone <laughs> needs to pour all this rain that New York is getting and over to California because man, yeah. we don't need it. Yeah. It's like I go outside, I step and the water just squishes down and wells Um, up and it's just, oh, so it's um, too much. My plants are dying. I have the opposite problem here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) If only there was a middle ground. Yeah. So why don't you tell the listeners a bit about yourself? Okay. um, Yeah. Um, I, um, you know, I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, Mm -hmm. My dad was a... Uh, a news reporter, sort of, you know, in, in the 50s Superman shows, it was Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for the Daily Planet. Right. Well, that was in the days when newspaper people didn't call themselves journalists or pundits. They called themselves mm-hmm. reporters. And so he was a reporter. Um, and um, my mom uh, loved to paint, did a lot of oil paints. And in the 50s style, chose to be a mother instead. And But what happened then was my childhood was kind of imbued with a lot of painting and a lot of art. And I remember mm-hmm. sitting in our backyard, you know, in elementary school, learning to do oil paints and draw and stuff. And oh, that's awesome. It's really cool. So, and I, I you know, I, I got encouraged in all those areas. Um, my father also played a little Spanish guitar and um, I messed around with that and heard enough Segovia to know that I didn't have talent, but all of that was kind of in my background, and um, I, uh, when I was in my sophomore year in college, I, I took an English class with a, a with a local novelist and realized that 
writing was exciting and uh, I wanted to I wanted to learn how to write and to teach people how to write and eventually through graduate schools and PhD programs that's where I wound up being a, a writing teacher and also uh, aspiring to write fiction and poetry and also nonfiction teaching a class especially in creative nonfiction so I've kind of branched out into all those areas a little bit. And mm -hmm. So um, my wife is a music teacher. She's clarinet performance. She's a really talented clarinetist. And we have four kids. So we have two, two daughters and two, two sons. So. Okay. So what are you working on right now? What's your, what's, what would you call your latest work? My, yeah, my latest work is a grief memoir. Um, I, I've, um, uh, our last son uh, uh, took his life four and a half years ago. And um, so ever since then, what I've found is writing poetry and just writing in journals and stuff has kind mm -hmm. of kept me processing the whole thing. It's been the way that I've the way that I've been able to hang on to the sanity and to keep keep processing and kind of mm -hmm. getting, you know, you never get over something like that, but you learn to live, I guess, in new new ways. And so. Um, what I have now um, is I, I finished the second draft last summer of a grief memoir, and okay. um, I'm I'm hoping to finish that this summer. Along with that grief memoir, I started to write a lot of poems, and I sort of have the two things kind of going together simultaneously. So we'll we'll see how that works out. Um, I've had some beta readers with the the grief memoir, and they're all mm -hmm. encouraging me to publish it now. So I was really uh, encouraged. Mm -hmm. So it must that. be really close. I, I feel that way. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, you know how it is. It's, it's half four and a half years out. I have to figure out how do I, how do I draw this to a conclusion when I'm sort of still going through some of it? Right. That, I can imagine that would be hard. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's different than a fiction novel. I mean, you know how that thing ends. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I do have two novels that I eventually want to get back to, but yeah. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. What are your novels about? Uh, one novel is called, um, it's kind of a follow-up from my first novel. It's, it's called, um, uh, Radio Eden. It's a, it's about an aging pastor who tells his congregation that if they can find Eden, then they can offer proof to the world that, uh, everything is true. And so mm -hmm. a couple of his parishioners wander off to find Eden and get taken hostage. And, um, <laughs> so, um, uh, it's a hostage crisis with that. And, um, and uh, there, there's all sorts of I, I, I've written about 130 pages of it, and mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure where I'm landing with it. And I started writing it just before my son took his life. So I'm wanting to get back to that eventually. So, yeah. And um, I have a second novel uh, that's about a, a composition teacher kind of uh, uh, in a literature department. And mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to I, I'm, I'm trying to one of one of my favorite novels is a. A novel called I don't I don't know how familiar uh, people are with this novel today. It came out in the '90s. It's called Straight Man by Richard Rousseau, and it's a it's a oh, it's a week. Have you I heard of it? I have heard of it. I don't think I've read it, but I that sounds really familiar to me. Okay, yeah, it was kind of a bestseller about 20 years, and I just read that um, that Bob Oldenkirk, you know, of Better Call Saul fame, mm -hmm. is has been chosen to play the lead in a film adaptation of, of this 
book. And I'm, That's you know awesome. how it is when your favorite novel is being adapted as a movie. It's like you're excited, yeah. but you're also fearful. Terrified. <laughs> terrified. Yeah. But I think Bob Oldenkirk is a great choice for that role. It's really a funny uh -huh. book. It's a, especially if you're as, as deeply um, mired in academia as I have been, I mean, it's just a wonderful comic relief. And, you know, um, this, this, creative writing teacher is suddenly interim department chair, you know, I don't, um, and um, for a week, he just has all these misadventures. It's, it's just a fun book. And I, I hope they have, I hope they make it into a really good movie. You know, I, mm -hmm. I yeah. So. I, I always hope that, I mean, I, you know, when your favorite movie get, does get turned into, I don't know, some kind of film adaptation, like movie or TV yeah. or something like you're always like, Oh, I hope they did a good job. And then you're like, you, I don't know about you, but I always hold like a piece of myself, like in reserve, like just waiting for it to be awful. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like you can't get too excited about no, it because no, exactly. exactly. there's so many examples of them doing it badly. Oh, I know there, there are. Yeah. Um, I do, I do like, I don't know how you feel about, or if you've read Dune or seen the new Dune film. I grew up on Dune. Yeah. The, yeah, I did too. And I really, this is finally, i it seems like I was cringing at first, but as the, as the first part wore on, I was starting to really, really appreciate it. So, but otherwise, I, I think yeah. this is the best version of Dune that I've seen. Yeah. I think I agree with you, but the yeah. new version of Dune. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating part two really mm -hmm. with, with excitement. Yeah. So, but yeah. yeah, I was, I wasn't sure because I, I'm not personally a fan of Chalamet myself. Um, right. Yeah. So I was really worried and then I'm like, but then I mm -hmm. start seeing the, like the trailers and stuff I'm like, Oh, this kind of fits how I was imagining it when I read it. Mm -hmm. So that's usually a good sign. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, yeah, the, the, I started to really almost taste the spice in the sand and the, the worm. <laughs> you know, I, I hear you on that. What you just said, it started to really feel like the real mm -hmm. what I, you know, how I was imagining the, this world, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So where do you get your inspiration for your stories? I know you write a lot of short stories. You sent me that compilation of short stories that you'd written. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, a lot of I think a lot of my ideas. Um, must come from other things I've read. Um, and um, I, I can be, I'll be honest with you, Deb, I grew up reading Ray Bradbury short stories, you know, I mean, I mm -hmm. just, all through my teen years, I mean, The Medicine for Melancholy, um, um, Ours for Rocket, all these, you mm -hmm. know, great collections. And, and so I, I just sort of love the short story. and I love to write them. But I don't, I don't necessarily write fantasy uh, work I'm um, um, but I think I get my ideas from uh, from pass it from things I've read and, um, and and it's a strange process I'm not I'm not sure I completely understand it myself but um, uh, sometimes it'll be a, a passage I'm reading and the language just sort of resonates with me and I'll think about it and mm -hmm. um, and um, uh, quite frequently, I'll just write it down in my journal, and I'll have a, I'll have a whole passage there of something that someone is thinking or processing or going through, and then later I'll sort of look at that and develop that into a, a into a, a plot and a story. Um, I, I'm not sure that I I start with plot. I think I start with characters and and what they're dealing with. And um, okay, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. actually going to be my next question. Like, um, I didn't know, I know 
I don't know, just having done so many of these interviews, it feels like people kind of, I seem, feel like they start in like two categories. They start with the plot, they know how they want to go, or they're starting mm -hmm. with like a theme. They want to explore a theme. Yes. So you yes. start with characters, the character I think, first. I think so. And I, and I think theme is, it's interesting. Uh, I think it's interesting to hear you say that because I do think theme is more, um, I would call it more generative, you know, than mm -hmm. plot is plot seems to lock things in, but theme allows you to kind of, kind of range, you know, I, I don't know, you, you've probably read Stephen King's, um, on writing memoir where he, he mm -hmm. says that after he's written six or 700 pages, he'll go for walks for weeks and then he'll come back and think about theme and he'll start cutting and start, but I, um, I do think I start with theme. There was one um, story in my collection, short story collection. It's called The Lives of the Composers. Um, mm -hmm. I really I really love music. I really, um, uh, uh, I'm interested, I guess I have just a casual interest in music, but um, I, I developed this character who, who, uh, who loves music and it's kind of autobiographical. But at the time I wrote it in 2011, just about every day we were getting reports of, of uh, Americans dying in Afghanistan. You know, it was at mm -hmm. that point in our conflict in Afghanistan, you know, and I, I was already bothered by just how much the Afghan Af Afghanian people were, were being just in, put in turmoil. But hearing that every day, I, I started to, to think about uh, um, that. And I'm, I'm not sure if I could play, put a particular theme to it, but I wanted to somehow this everyday news that we were getting about a conflict mm -hmm. overseas that, you know, increasingly people were questioning. Um, and I, I, I sort of, I, I, I saw how my interest in music could kind of merge with my, my concerns and my really sadness and grief over what we were hearing every day from that conflict. And it kind of merged into this short kind of flash fiction about about a guy on a beach who kind of misjudges someone he's lying on the beach right. nearby and, and, um, um, and uh, gave me a chance to sort of deal with that theme of loss, I guess, and grief and, um, and, and this, this, this idea of um, um, having to start a family without, without the father there or the mother there. And I, mm -hmm. you know, and so I, I, and I think flash, flash fiction allows for a little more of that, I guess. I don't know. It's maybe I'm wrong. It seems to rely a little less on plot. I mean, there are mm -hmm. events that happen, but no, I, I agree. I, I agree. I think, um, especially um, the short story. I mean, it's less of a plot and it's more of a exploration, maybe. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How do yeah. you um, speaking of plot? How do you plot out your stories? Um, do you take a very analytical approach or? Does it meander for you because you're starting with the character? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I'd love to claim that I'm analytical, but I, I'm afraid that my rough drafts meander. Um, uh, my rough drafts do meander. Uh, I, I've also, um, um, the writing I've done up to this point, I've often drawn on the, the Joseph Campbell hero's journey, you know, um, uh, mm -hmm. for what it's worth, the three act um, the three act structure of, right. of, uh, of the hero's journey. Um, um, and, and I, I've often seen those two doors, the door into act two and the door into act three is kind of my places of, 
um, of, of kind of hanging a story on. So, so I, I guess that makes things a little less meandering than, than it mm-hmm. would, um, if that makes sense. Um, it does. Yeah. So, so I, but I really have found that, that that helps a lot is thinking, thinking, um, in terms of that hero's journey. I, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to do other things with it though, as well. But, um, the one novel I've written, Apocalypse TV kind of follows that in, in a, and in a way, it kind of follows the three-act structure. I, I, yeah. So I think most, I don't know, so many, I think we're used to that structure now with so many movies following that now. Mm, you, know? you do expect it as a consumer. You really, you and really And then you kind of have, as the writer, you have to perform for that. Absolutely. You know, and um, I wonder if there could be, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sort of wanting to experiment with, ways to kind of subvert that expectation, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, a good novella could start with right with act three, you know, with a brief, mm-hmm. you know, pr- preparation for what has gone on. And then the, the character moves into, into act three and for better or worse, you know, um, I, I'm sorry, Deb, I'm, I'm somewhat, you know, I did a lot of my reading uh, as a college student in the seventies and one of my favorite novellas was was by Saul Bellow. It's called Seize the Day. It was mm-hmm. made into a film with um, with um, um, oh gosh, um, Mork and Mindy fame. I'm I'm sorry to have this senior moment. <laughs> um, um, Robin Williams. Robin Williams. I apologize. I should know that. I was I, I didn't know her name, but I knew his. And yes, yeah. Luckily, it was I'm, him. <laughs> Okay, I'm I'm sorry. Yeah, Robin Williams is wonderful in this role and sees the day and um and um he it, and it starts with the third act. It starts with this um, aging middle aged man trying to trying to finally seize the day and make something of his life and nothing goes the way he plans and 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 mm-hmm. it all it all kind of rises out of character and you can sort of see that everything he's tried to do has come out of out of his character and out of his haste and his hurry and his desire to just make things happen quickly, you know, and, right. and it's a, it's a really interesting, uh, if you ever get a chance. And I, my, my argument is that I think Bello begins that story just on the cusp of act three, you know, just before things are going to really go down in a bad way for, for the main mm-hmm. character. Yeah. So. That's interesting. You say that I don't think I've ever had anyone make that comparison, but that, mm. I don't know, at least for me, that is how I try to write my short stories is think of a complete story and then only write like the last third, the, like the climax part. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like a really interesting process. I, yeah. Well, otherwise it just felt like they were boring or they, yeah. They told too, there was too much exposition, especially in a, a short story structure. But yeah, that's Absolutely. that's my little mental thing. That's how I try to do it. I don't always succeed, but that's how I try. Oh, it sounds like a good way to go about doing it. Absolutely. You know, have you when you've done that? Can I ask when you've done that? Did you write the whole thing out first and then rewrite it with the, most of the? No, most yeah. I've ever done is I've outlined the whole thing. So like I just like bullet points like this happened, yeah. this happened. And that way, I don't know, it helped me understand the character more, you know, going through this, yes. trying to figure out the whole journey rather than just starting right there. Like I knew yes. what the past was, I don't know. It was, I don't know, it made it easier for me to write, I guess. Yes. Uh-huh. That, that makes perfect sense. I, I think that if you don't do that, you, do, you, you have to learn about the character as you're writing and that mm-hmm. creates Again, that leads to the my meandering, I guess, what right. I do. But, and, uh, 
but starting out with a nice solid kind of outline of points, it, that that can really give you a nice launch into what's going to happen to mm. your character. That's really yeah. that's a really good point. I guess I feel better as a writer. Um, mm -hmm. I, mean, I don't I don't know necessarily mm -hmm. from the reader standpoint if it would have made a difference, although it's objectively yeah. a better story because I'm not <laughs> layering in this exposition about what happened in the past. Um, but Absolutely. I think as a writer, I'm more comfortable doing that way. I, I know who the person is I'm writing about. Yes. Uh-huh. Absolutely. I wonder if it makes for a starker story too, like a more, you know, we're just in the present moment and that's all that matters. And, mm -hmm. you know, and then just these little kind of traces of what's happened before that matter and impinge on the current action. And I mean, Maybe. I, I mean, it almost feels like a philosophical position that, that you're taking with that, Deb. I, I'm kind of, that. that's something to aspire to maybe, I don't know. Maybe, I, I find, I don't know, maybe it's from more of a practical standpoint, but I find it helps yeah. in, the, in the editing point, it's better. I don't have to edit oh, as yes. much. Um, yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know it just it's 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 already started it's already in my head i don't know i feel like i'm just repeating the same words now but it no, works for yeah. me that's yeah that's what's important you know mm -hmm. that's, that's what's important for a writer yeah. yeah definitely so how long um what what which which what do you prefer? I I, I don't have this on my list of questions, but yeah. you're talking. You write short stories. You write poetry. You've written mm -hmm. are, are in the process of writing the memoir, and plus novels. What's your preferred format? Do you have one, or is it just the act of writing that is just feeds your soul? Right now, I'd have to say the act of writing is what's feeding my soul, um, and. Um, if by format, do you mean genre or do you? Um, no, I, I meant like like physically. Do you is poetry? Do you like poetry the best? Do you like writing the short story the best? Do you like yes. the long form better? Yeah, I I've, I've discovered uh, in the last three years that I've really been writing a lot of poetry, and I've suddenly been finding some real success with it, and um, um, and so I, I'd have to say I'm. I'm finding a preference for poetry, but I want to say this about that. I, I did not, I did not think of myself as a poet, you know, I, mm -hmm. but I don't want to, you know, I, um, I just love poetry and I, I, I love the practice and the discipline of writing it. And, and since we lost my son, I found that the, and because I'm busy teaching and, you know, grading papers all over the place, I, I've found that poetry was something I could continue every day, you know, um, mm -hmm. poetry. I can spend 20 minutes working on reworking verse and reworking it. And, and I also find that it's a good vehicle for, for grief. It's a good vehicle for processing mm -hmm. grief, if that makes sense. But I, what it I does wanted, make a lot of sense. Yeah. It's, um, and I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not happy that I've, come across that because of what happened in, in, mm -hmm. in, in our lives. But I, I am, I am grateful that I have that to fall back on. And what I've also found about doing that is that it has started to, when I do turn, I turned to write a short story and I wound, I wound up writing some flash fiction that felt really rich because 
when you write lines of poetry, you, you're focusing on the imagery. You're really focusing on each word in a way, you know, mm-hmm. on the, the sounds of the words and the sense of the words. And that's starting to creep into my prose writing a, just a little bit, you know, not in an obnoxious way, but, uh-huh. but it's like I'm, I'm starting to get, I think, I think I like to think that I'm getting a little more economical in my prose writing. And I think that's going to eventually really serve well. Um, as I kind of edit down my me- brief memoir, you know, I've, I really found that. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever considered this, Deb, but I, I sort of see creative nonfiction and poetry sort of close together. You know, I mean, there have been a lot of poets who have not a lot, I guess, but there have been some poets who have le- kind of leaped into creative nonfiction and found a second career. Annie Dillard was a poet before she was a m- memoirist, you know, and mm-hmm. um, and. Um, I, I, I'm trying to think of a couple of people who did the other, went the other way. But I mean, creative nonfiction is sometimes very poetic. And so, but I, I'm also finding it with my short story writing that I'm thinking of exactly the right detail to include rather than a whole big first act where my main right. character is getting, like you were saying a few minutes mm-hmm. ago, just boring to the reader. You know, my main character looking out the window and using about his mother-in-law and having to get the car fixed. And a dozen things that don't matter to the story, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but I think that's what's happening from poetry to prose. It's made me a little, maybe a little better prose writer, but we will see. I don't know. I'll have to <laughs> come back to you on that one. So that I think that's awesome that you're discovering that. Um, I can, I can, I can kind of, I've never experienced it myself, but I can kind of mentally Mm -hmm. draw that line between poetry and creative nonfiction because I don't know, Mm -hmm. at least to me, when I write poetry, now I am a terrible poet, Um, but it's, it's more introspection, at least for me Uh when I, when I'm doing, um, when I'm trying, when I'm trying to write it. And it's like, usually at like the end of the day and I'm reviewing the day and just Mm -hmm. thinking about events that happened and then kind of putting that creative mm-hmm. twist on them to make them not yeah. just, you know, I did the laundry. I don't know. I'm just using a boring example, but you know what yeah. I mean? Yes. Uh-huh. That's, that's a great, I, I actually think of what you're doing as a great discipline, you know, and yeah, I do. I do know what you mean. Um, I do a lot of that at the end of the day. And, and, it, and it could be, like you said, something as boring as laundry, but there will, there will be something I'm looking at in that. Mm. And seeing, you know. But it's not just about the laundry. It's like how you felt exactly. doing something or where your mind wandered or how you feel exactly. now at the end of the day after all this drudgery or, or something like that's right. what poetry is when I'm writing it to me. It's the, the self, it's the introspection and then mm-hmm. trying to like color it and make it diff, make it not just dark like that. Absolutely. Yes. So, um, with writing, um, you're a writer, obviously it, you like doing it. <laughs> do you find yeah. that it, do you get energized when you write or does it exhaust you? Like, does it, does it just pump you up or does it just drain everything out of you when you're writing? Yeah, that's such a, I understand a that can question. vary day to day sometimes. It can vary. It does. Yeah. Um, the kind of writing I've been doing lately, it's been invigorating, not only, but not only invigorating, it's, it's allowed me to, you know, uh, come to terms with, even if it's a poem that's no, no one is going to see it allowed, allowed me to kind of process something mm-hmm. that was really painful and bothering me, you know, and, and just to see that and to make sense of that. And, um, um, and that's, 
that's kind of invigorating that I can do that. Um, I have really, uh, you know, I, I do have been in those places where the writing was a draining and a struggle and, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I, what am I doing with myself here? You know, why did I decide to do mm-hmm. this? But, That's me um, in the middle of the editing process. Yes. Oh, editing? Really? <laughs> yeah, okay. the editing process. Wow. I just, uh-huh. oh, this is yeah. a slump. Yes. For me, I'd have to say it's not, you know, I mean, by the time we get to the editing process, I, okay, I'll tell you, I'm intimidated by the blank page. And when I'm staring at it, that's when I'm going to have my moments of real doubt and draining and, oh, okay. why did I ever, that's, you know, and so I usually, I usually start with a mess somewhere like free writing or something else and putting it on. Mm-hmm. I, I usually start with, I tell my friends, I wrote a bad poem today and, and they, all, <laughs> they all learn to say, oh, well, that's good because a bad right. poem will eventually I'm glad you wrote in. something Exactly. Exactly. So, but for me, by the time I get to editing, I'm usually, you know, I have something to work with. And I guess that's, that's what gives me a feeling of accomplishment is that I'm, I, I'm, I'm doing things. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? I'm doing things with it. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I can see how editing would be a real cause for trepidation though. I could, <laughs> you know, I could see that. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm more of the, uh, I, I love the blank page. Like I'm ready to jump off and, but it's like even wow. the editing process, I have to be doing something creative. Like I have to take 20 um, minutes and jot down new story ideas or work on a short story or, or you know, something like mm-hmm. I can't just do that. Like right now in the middle editing a novel, I mean, it's just like, it feels like it's never going to end. And I just, you kind of feel like my creativeness just kind of like in scrunched down or something. I don't, I don't know how else to describe it. Uh huh. That makes perfect sense. What you're saying, it does. Yeah. yeah for me, I just need to be doing something yeah. other than staring at the words I wrote three months ago, <laughs> and revising them, revising them. Yes, that makes sense. Have Can you, you ever this thread? <laughs> yes. Oh gosh. Yeah. Have you ever? Have you ever decided while editing to just take that creative leap again, and or is that it's too late for that? Um. That's that's usually a bad idea for me. Yeah, I, I, I always want it. Like I want to start like the next project immediately, um, mm-hmm. but then I'll mm-hmm. get lost and I won't finish editing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no self discipline. I hear you. Yeah, I, the minute I said that, I thought, oh, that sounds like a bad idea. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. that's why I have to. Um, I keep this notebook next to my desk all the time. So if I have mm-hmm. that random idea that pops in while I'm editing, I can write it down. At least oh, it's yeah. somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I don't feel like I need to move, like change windows and go to another program and work on it. Absolutely. That, that's a good, that's another good technique. Yeah. Yeah. The, the things you learn writing while you have toddlers in the house with you. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, man. That's yeah. Yeah. So how has your writing changed over time? When did you start writing? At what age did you start writing? Oh, well, I, I suspect like a lot of people, I, when I was in the fourth grade, I I started writing personal essays outside of school. Mm. I don't know why. I think it's because my dad, I hear my dad typing in the basement, you know, as a Mm -hmm. reporter. Um, And um, at the time, you know, this is the 1960s or mid 1960s. And Mm -hmm. Bill Cosby is making a career as a stand up comedian. And he's on a couple of TV shows. And and he's got these great childhood stories about 
go-karts and about going to the dentist. And eventually he's got these stories about Fat Albert, I, you know. And I, I was a consumer of those stories in 1965. And I thought, I'm going to do that too. And I started writing stories about tobogganing and, you know, all sorts of dumb things. And um, mm -hmm. my father actually encouraged me with that. And so, I mean, it was the writing outside of school. It wasn't the writing in right. school that makes sense. And so, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of led to writing poetry as a moody adolescent. And then, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, um, I, I think, think every I, writer's been there. <laughs> I think so. I think we have this right of these, these, you know, these evolutionary stages we have to go mm -hmm. through that we replicate, you know, I, I just think that, um, yeah, but I, um, uh, I always wanted to, to write based on what I was reading. I read, I'd read a, I, um, I remember reading in the seventh grade, um, you know, the planet of the apes had just come out as a movie. And, and I found the book by the French author, Pierre Boulet, mm -hmm. I think his name is. And I read the book and it's so different from the movie and it made me want to write uh, even science fiction. And so I think all through high school and early college, I considered myself a fantasy writer. And then, and then I became an English major and started to read really good stuff. And I, I kind of, started to appreciate Kurt Vonnegut a lot and his writing. And, and I think mm -hmm. it was always these writers that I really liked that made me think, Oh, I'd like to do that. You know, I don't know if I can do it as good as Kurt Vonnegut, but I sure would like to write a story like that. And so um, I think um, getting out of college, I wrote a, a bad children's story and a bad novel. And, um, and then, and then in my, I think, Throughout, I think I had one or two poems published in my 20s. And then in my 30s, I started writing the, some of the short stories that are in my collection that I sent you. Um, some of those appeared. So, But I, I think it really, um, I, I want to say, I like to say it started in the fourth grade outside of school, you know, because I, I mm -hmm. talk to so many students today who, you know, I hate to write, they say. and I, And I think, well, what, when you think of writing, what does writing mean to you? And it's always, you know, this report writing and five paragraph theme writing. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's, um, I have to say, I, I do not like academic writing myself. I, I agree with you. I think it's dead. It's, um, it's really, yeah. You know, I, I have to confess, I've learned to do it just to keep my job, you know, <laughs> but, but I don't, I'm not proud of it, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I often in, inject things into it that, are probably I would always I would always try to do that too in yeah. college when I was doing the academic writing. Absolutely, yeah. And sometimes I wouldn't get away with it, but you know, <laughs> but um, yeah. So, and but I think I wonder if those of us who are writers are the people who kind of on the outside of class sort of discovered that there was this wonderful form of expression, you know, that came from authentic sense of who we are and where mm -hmm. we are, you know, and, um, I, I wish that for everyone, but I guess, I guess it's not, not to be, well, mm. yeah. people have, I don't know. I don't know. That's what makes us human. I don't know. I guess it not is. A, yeah. Not everybody's writers, but everybody's not everybody's an engineer either. That's why I was going to, just going to say that. Yeah. Thank God <laughs> there are some accountants too, you know, right. yeah. <laughs> my taxes would never get done. Mine either, yeah. <laughs> I'd be audited every year, so that. Yeah. So yeah. when your work's done and mm -hmm. you're putting it out in the world, um, how do you market it? What's your mm -hmm. favorite way to get that out there and get the word out? 
Yeah. Um, I, I have to admit that I, I, I'm struggling with that. Um, I think my favorite way of getting it out there is, is talking with people about it is, um, um, having, I like, I like doing the, the, in the bookstore thing with people, uh-huh. but, but not when I'm reading from my book, but when I'm talking with someone like doing an interview, I, I kind of sort of like what we're doing here, Deb. I really appreciate this. I, Oh no. Um, yeah. I, I agree. Like this always feels like really it's natural and it's easy. Like it's not like social yeah. marketing algorithms and stuff like that. Oh, I know. I know exactly. Um, I, I, tr- I keep trying that. I mean, I've been writing a blog since 2009. I've had a website mm. since 2012 and I've been doing a newsletter for about five years, you know, and I'm doing all of those things. And, and I will say I could blame the pandemic on some of the stagnancy there. I was like, I have, my newsletter isn't growing right now. I'm hoping to change mm-hmm. that soon, but, but it, it really is this opportunity to talk with, especially with other people who like writing, you know, who, mm-hmm. who are who not like it, but are, are writers themselves and understand it. And um, those are some really good conversations to have and to be a part of. And, and, um, and that's, that's when it feels most, like you said, I think it feels most natural. I don't mm-hmm. feel like I'm, you know, hawking myself in some right. way. You're just talking to a peer, someone who understands about writer's block and the editing process. Exactly. Exactly. Someone who understands the writers, all the perils of it and, and all of the, all of the pleasure of it as well. Yeah. But, um, I, I found that I had the, I didn't before the pandemic, when I was getting out into some bookstores and, and, and some, um, some coffee shops that I, I was able to connect with some people who would, you know, I could, I could, uh, I could expand my newsletter a little bit, and I could talk with them about my my books and about their interests as well. And I kind of like that. I I never had, you know, I mean, I never had big crowds or anything, but just you know, small groups around um, around bookstores mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And um, I'd really, I'd really, I'm really hoping to to get back to that soon. You know, um, yeah. What has been your um, go to can i ask what you what do you what do you find most um enjoyable with social media um well surprisingly (laughs) well surprisingly it's actually turned out to be the podcast i started this way back when with a friend not really intending it to move in that direction but it has been Mm -hmm. my favorite way to get the voice out and talking to other people and having them hear my voice yes uh-huh. I think I heard some of your podcasts early when you first got started too. They were, mm-hmm. they were really, yeah, back when yeah, the original plan for the podcast was just me and a very good friend. And we just, we were both writers. Mm-hmm. We were both readers and we just wanted to talk about it because we did that anyways. Yeah. And then her house burnt down and plans oh, no. changed. This, yeah. This is life, isn't it? Oh. It is. But you've kept it. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Oh. I find this is really interesting. I mean, this isn't how the podcast was intent and originally intended to be, but it's nice talking Mm -hmm. to people who understand things. Like, like I was just saying, Mm -hmm. like, it's nice talking to other writers because I don't know, I feel like writing is so singular. It's hard to connect with Mm -hmm. other writers. I mean, it's hard to find a good Mm -hmm. writing group that really works for you and stuff. Like, so I feel like writers in general don't get a lot of socialization (laughs) and this kind of, 
well, at least for this, it, it connects me to other writers and it allows voices to be heard. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I, I appreciate that. I can imagine, especially with toddlers, it, um, you know, it can yes, be that was a very hard time in my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're isolated. Yeah. Yeah. People talk about writing as being isolating all the time, but I really do think that the best writing is a result of things like this about the result of writers being able to talk with each other, mm-hmm. share their writing, you know, it, talk yes, about exactly. I'm 100% is, behind that. I really think it has to be social as well. You know, mm-hmm. I, that's, that's the, the importance of, of, of what we're doing, I think. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. Because even if you think about the writing craft itself, I mean, Beta readers are awesome in what they do, but Mm -hmm. sometimes just talking to another writer about your writing, I mean, that just opens up so many new doors, you know, like they're going to understand why you did something or maybe understand that some point is falling behind because of a said reason. And they're not just this random beta reader who's like, oh, I like this character. Yeah, I I think this relationship (sighs) should continue. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, um, I have had moments. I um, because I'm on a college faculty. I have one or two colleagues who are writers, and we've gone to conferences. To, I, by the way, going to a good writers conference can be really invigorating too. I'm sure you you know that mm-hmm. as well. But on the way to the conference, we would get in. My 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 colleague would say things like, "So, Tom, let's talk about your novel now. Let's talk about this. Let's mm-hmm. just." let's play. <laughs> you know, I, I love that. Getting uh-huh. used to the idea of, you know, I, I mean, I was getting sort of rigid about my novels. Like it's gotta be mm-hmm. like this. And I'm going to talk to these editors, but no, right. let's play, let's take it out. And let's, you know, and, and that. Let's look like, at it from a different angle. Exactly. And that was so freeing and invigorating. And, and that's only because of, again, another writer friend who understands exactly what mm-hmm. it is to engage in this process and is, you know, and just coming alongside, like you said, not like a beta reader, you know, says, well, I don't think Mr. Fox should die here. I, you know, right. I, I, yeah. I mean, um, I really want more of the fringing or something like that. I'm sorry for these dumb references, but something <laughs> says, what if, you know, what if, you know, your main character did this and then, and, and, you know, and then we kind of bat it around and think about mm-hmm. it and, Or they just ask that simple question, like, why? Why did they do this? Yes. Sometimes beta readers don't catch that. And sometimes you need another writer to do that for you. Absolutely. Yep. 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 Sometimes you forgot to think about why. (laughs) Oh, I, yes, all the time. Yeah. Uh, It's good to be reminded of that, you know, and to Mm -hmm. to really, really probe your characters and the motivation for the story. You know, I, I sometimes think, um, uh, in my own writing, I can get too author, author, author is authority here. And I'm going to force this character to do this. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're going in another direction and maybe I should, mm-hmm. back, why would they do that? Why would they attempt to do that? You know, mm-hmm. back off a little bit. You know, what is their motivation here? What yeah. What is really going on? And I think that makes for a better story always when, when the author backs away from, you know, forcing them mm-hmm. to, yeah. I find I'm asking myself the question why a lot during my editing process right now. Mm-hmm. It's like, especially the scenes that fall flat, like you're like, it just, mm-hmm. this isn't working. Like, why isn't this working? And then I just start, I don't mm-hmm. know. It's like, you got to go all the way back to the start and be like, okay, well, 
what do they want to do? Like, what are they trying to do? And they get embroiled in this. Like, what is mm-hmm. it that they were originally trying to do? And then what's their motivation? Like, it's just like a lot of, mm-hmm. I'm asking why a lot right now. Interesting. Yeah. But it sounds, yeah. So that must lead you to reinvigorating the scenes then. It must yes, really. Yes. A more natural mm-hmm. flow or conversation mm-hmm. or deleting yeah. 12,000 words and or something i'm not 12,000 yeah. i haven't deleted 12,000 but i've definitely deleted 1200 wow uh-huh that's it's, hard that's hard yeah <laughs> but that's oh my goodness sometimes it oh, needs my. it yes i oh gosh yes um yeah when i was when i was writing my first novel um uh, a student was reading it with me and and he said what you should do is just take the scenes that matter to you the most and Mm-hmm. Just set those aside and make your novel out of that. And so I actually cut out 150 pages of it and rewrote oh, wow. it. It was, um, it was, a, it was painful. At that point, I thought I was going to not ever finish the novel, but uh-huh. um, cause, because I agree with you, 1200 words is kind of major surgery. I can't do it, you know, but. Yeah, that, I, that was a bad week of writing. I can <laughs> imagine. Seven days oh, that, worth. That's, that's horrible. Yeah. Um, but I didn't, you know, I, I don't know. I, I suspect you probably are the same way. Even if I cut 1200 words out, it's in another file just in case I can. Yeah. You I never can, actually I, delete it. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't know so. about you, but anytime I edit, I make a copy of the old work and I edit the copy. So the original copy is always still there yes. somewhere. Yes. Always, <laughs> always do that. Always do that. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so grateful for computers. I mean, I, I, I wrote my first poems and stories on a typewriter and that was, you know, I literally. All of mine oh originally. yes. Yes. Handwriting. I've got notebooks and notebooks. Yeah. Do you start, do you write an entire draft in, in, in hand um, before you turn to the computer? Do you? Um, no, I always start by hand, but it's never that in depth. It's bits and pieces and paragraphs and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, speak. Well, kind of going back to our marketing idea of, would well, you anything you want to hawk on the podcast? Any oh. work you'd like podcasters to take a look at? Yes, I. I uh, thank you for that. I really am. Uh, <laughs> I'm proud of. I'm a little, little. Maybe I shouldn't be, but I, I'd like to hawk my short story collection. Um, Subtle Man Loses His Day Job, which um, really consists of stories I started writing. Um, my first story was written in a workshop in 1984. It got rewritten rewritten quite a bit. But um, I'd I, I just like to um, say that uh, some of the stories in this book are really close to my heart. And um, um, I'm, it includes two stories about a... About a um, uh, young man who, who thinks he has uh, subtlety as his superpower and he's trying to figure mm-hmm. out how that how that works and um, um, but there are other stories as well and um, that are dealing with um, um, questions of uh, w- one of my reviewers put it as questions of the ineffable questions of faith questions of um, um, meaning and, uh, and, and some relationship stories. And, uh, I, I really, really, uh, enjoyed 
putting it together. And um, I, I wrote two new stories for the collection that I, I really, um, I wasn't exhausted by writing them at all. I really, really enjoyed writing it. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, you can find Subtle Man Loses His Day Job and other stories um, on Amazon. The way, the way I like to put it is, you know, it's, it's nice because you can read one story a day. You don't have to, you know... It, it's, mm -hmm. it's like you can have it you can have it for two weeks and read one story a day and, and, and I have to admit I love reading short story collections they're my I love novels but short story collections are my preferred reading and just like di like I like you just pick it up and you can read a short story and then you feel accomplished and exactly. the next day you can do another one you're not you're not just going through this the whole story exactly um, I, I'm, I'm the same way I I've always loved the story form and I just love short stories so um yeah so i i i'm the same way i think it's a great way to like you said the feeling of accomplishment i i love taking in an entire story in about 20 or 30 minutes i love mm -hmm. seeing that whole right you and then know, you think about it and then tomorrow you do yeah, another one absolutely you know and um in some of my stories there's um the backdrop to some of the stories is this place called the sidestep tavern and um it's a it's based on a couple of taverns i knew in college and and, mm -hmm. and, and afterwards and some of the people i met there and um, you know a world war ii vet and some other folks who were kind of just kind of uh, on on the fringes of, of of right normal society but good people nonetheless you know so yeah yeah. And where can listeners find you online? Like you said, you you have yeah. a blog and a newsletter. Mm -hmm. Where can they connect with you? Yes, um, I I I have a website. It's thomasoblaw.com, um, and that would probably be the best place to start. And I'm right okay. in the process of, of, of I'm fixing it right now. It, um, it's kind of down for construction, but it's I hope to have it up and running soon. I'm also on on Twitter at at Tom Allball one, or excuse me, at Tallball one. Um, I'm on. I will Facebook. link these in the show notes, by the way. I too. appreciate. Thank you. Yeah, I'm also on Facebook, and um, um, I would love to. Um, there is a place on on my on my website where where I do have a blog coming out every month at least, and and a newsletter that comes out once a month where you you can sign up for that there too. So. Um, yeah, I would, I would love to hear from from everyone. Great, excellent. Well, it has been a pleasure talking to you today, Dom. Thank you. The pleasure's been all mine, Deborah. Thank you for for having me today. It's been a great, it's been a great conversation. Thank you. Read and Write podcast is edited and produced by Deborah Zebarth. Music was provided by Lo-Fi Girl and can be found at lofigirl.com or on their YouTube channel. Audio effects were created by Red Octopus and Black River Phonogram. Show notes and previous episodes can be found at readandwritepodcast.com. And that's it. Thank you for listening to the show. If you like what you're hearing, make sure to rate Read and Write on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you have a suggestion for a future episode, drop me a line. I'm always open to suggestions. Also, did you know that Read and Write publishes three episodes a week? Check out the podcast's YouTube channel for Write With Me Mondays live streams and 30-second book reviews on Fridays.